0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So Ruth chapter 4, finishing off our series. So, God's big plan and my ordinary life. Have you ever had the experience of finding you're part of something much bigger than you realised? You had no idea you were playing a role in a much bigger story. Something like this happens, if you remember this great movie, to Katniss Everdeen at the end of the second Hunger Games book or or film, Catching Fire. Now, it's eight years old, so no apologies for the spoiler here. (laughs) She just thought she was trying to win another Hunger Games and save Peter. Um, But actually, there were people behind the scenes who were trying to accomplish something far greater. Freedom from the manipulative, greedy, and cruel capital run by President Snow. She was trying to be faithful and courageous and loving and kind in the task that lay before her to win a hunger game. Little did she know that her faithfulness, courage, her love and kindness were stirring the hearts of all the other districts that were oppressed, making her a symbol of hope the Mockingjay. And in many ways, Katniss Everdeen reminds me of Ruth, the central character and one of the heroes of the beautiful Old Testament book. As we've seen, she's a woman of faithfulness and courage in the face of adversity, and a woman of love and kindness in her dealings with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her knight in shining armour, Boaz. And what we're going to learn today in Ruth chapter 4, is that Ruth's courage and faithfulness in the face of adversity, combined with Boaz's faithfulness and kindness, end up being used by God to do something far beyond what either of them imagined could even be possible. New life, new horizons, new opportunities, new beginnings, not just for Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi, but for the nation of Israel, and for all of us, because of how great the story is becomes and that is why i've given the title of this um, uh, this talk god's big plan and my ordinary life i said this in 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 the first week of ruth in ruth god is hardly mentioned He, he has two moments of being active according to the narrator he seems absent there's no dramatic moments like the parting of a red sea there's no miracles there's no angels there's no pillar of fire there's no mount sinai on fire it's about ordinary people facing ordinary events it's about family that goes wrong. Bereavement that's tough. Marriage. Singleness. Having a baby. It's about food and a lack of food. A time of famine. It's about unemployment. It's about every day, joys and sorrows. There is nothing spectacular or glamorous. There's no miracles, no angels, no voice from heaven. In fact, given the tragedy with which the book starts, you might think God is absent. And yet he isn't. He's always there. So the lesson of Ruth as a book is that God is always at work. Just as much as when he's parting the sea or raising his son from the dead, he's at work in your life. In the ordinary, the mundane, the boring, the frustrating, he's working out his great plans. The book of Ruth is an encouragement how God uses ordinary people with ordinary lives in his great plan. So let me remind you of the story so far. In chapter 1, the scene is set. It's the scene of tragedy. The life of Naomi is devastated. She moves from Israel because of a famine to a place called Moab. In Moab, her husband Elimelech, important name, Elimelech, dies. And so do her two sons, Malon and Kilion. And they both, who have both married Moabite women, Ruth, and Orpah. When Naomi hears that the famine is over in Israel, she begins her return journey. But she urges Ruth and Orpah to remain in Moab. Because in, in, if they come back to Israel with their widowed Hebrew mother-in-law, they're not going to find a man to marry and build a home in a future. Orpah returns. One daughter-in-law returns Ruth in what has become the greatest vow of commitment in ancient history, I think, remains with her mother-in-law. And the two widows return to Bethlehem. The future is not bright. Naomi is old and unlikely to marry again. Ruth is a foreigner from one of the enemy tribes, Moab, so she's unlikely to marry again. And being a widow, as we've been reflecting over these last number of weeks, meant a life of vulnerability and uncertainty, physically, economically, emotionally. A A woman's identity was tied up in being able to give birth to a son who would continue the family line. So when Naomi arrives back into Bethlehem, she changes her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. The Lord has made her life bitter. And we saw actually how that was a statement of faith, because it's a moment of lament and grief as she turns to the Lord. And she says this, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. But there's a glimmer of hope, because as she returns, it's the beginning of the barley harvest. Maybe new beginnings are around the corner. And so Ruth goes out to work in the fields to earn some money. And as it turned out, she works in the field of a man called Boaz. He's a man of substance, a man of standing, a man of integrity, and a man of significant wealth. In chapter 2, we read that he protects Ruth from men that might want to abuse her. He has extravagant kindness, ensuring that she is well-fed, but also she has plenty to take back to her mother-in-law Naomi there's leftovers to spare why had Boaz been so kind to Ruth because he knew her character and he'd heard about this amazing story of a widowed Moabite committing to a widowed older lady and her reputation precedes her he came to realize that Ruth had found refuge in his God the God of Israel Yahweh And so we read maybe the most important verse in the whole book. Boaz says to Ruth, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So chapter 2 ends with Naomi, pondering whether this man of substance and of great kindness could be a provider and a protector for Ruth, the woman of noble character. And she starts to hatch a plan. And as it happens... Boaz is actually a close relative of Naomi and Ruth. An Old Testament law stipulated that a woman who became a widow, it was the obligation of the next of kin, a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer, should marry a woman to ensure that she gave birth to a child so the dead man's name, Elimelech, would not be eliminated from history and that the widow would be provided for in her old age. This person, as I said, is a kinsman or guardian redeemer. And they have three responsibilities. To ensure the dead man's name was not eliminated from life, from history. To ensure that the widow is cared for. And to ensure that any land that is left to that dead man, Elimelech, must be bought and given back, redeemed for the widow. So the family line and the family name and the family land stay together. It's Israel's social care. All all these three things are significant in chapter 4 but Naomi first needs to do a bit of matchmaking chapter 3 to get the man of substance and the woman of noble character together and and so in chapter 3 Ruth dresses up nicely puts on perfumes Boaz goes for a drink and she positions herself subtly at the uh, at the bottom of his feet while he's sleeping and lo and behold during the night Boaz wakes and finds Ruth at his feet and to great alarm Boaz doesn't know what's going on and Ruth says I'll tell you what's going on I'm asking for your hand in marriage will you marry me she says more subtly than that or more accurately more subtly as i said will you be the answer to your prayer of blessing for me i would love to take refuge under the god of israel's wings as i take refuge under your wings Boaz. be the answer to your prayer it was an, she was taking the initiative to force him to make a decision about marriage. It's bold, it's daring, it's brilliant. And Boaz is delighted, if you remember chapter 3, he's older. He never assumed that Ruth would like him, because he's an older gentleman. There's lots of younger men, and, but he would gladly oblige. But, as is so often the case in the life of our beloved Ruth, the story is not so simple. Life is not straightforward. There's another setback things don't just go smoothly. Boaz knows there's a nearer of kin, a closer relative who has the first obligation to make sure Ruth is provided for. So Boaz, despite all his feelings for Ruth, wants to honour God and the law of God. So he sends Ruth back to Naomi without anyone knowing, without disgracing her and without any sexual relations with her and with plenty of food for Naomi. Naomi. He says, Don't go back to your mother in law empty handed. And chapter three ends on a cliffhanger, as had chapter one, as had chapter two. Will Boaz win Ruth's hand in marriage, or will the unnamed kinsman redeemer, guardian redeemer, disrupt the happy ending that all our hearts want? How will Boaz handle the competitor? Now it's Boaz's turn to do a bit of planning. And just like Naomi, Boaz is very savvy. And he's very shrewd, as well as being generous. Ruth chapter 4 begins. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you do not redeem it, uh, if you, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, for I will uh, so I will know. For no one has the right to it except you, and I am the next in line. I'll redeem it, he says. Panic. Sets into Boaz's heart at this moment. But no. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger what? My own estate, my own wealth. You redeem it. I cannot do it. So, The day after the nighttime request on the threshing floor, chapter 3, Boaz chooses to go and highlight that the land that Naomi has needs to be redeemed. And just as he sat down at the city gate where decisions were made in ancient Israel... Uh, it turned out another one of those coincidences that the guardian redeemer who is nearer of kin happens to be there and so boaz gathers the elders and he says hey you know naomi that the the the, the husband's died and therefore the land needs to be redeemed and naomi's too poor to keep it who's going to redeem it the nearest relative jumps in (gasps) money for me i get a bit of land it might mean a bit of personal loss initially as i buy the land but over 10 years i wonder what return i can get on my yield for the land he's thinking great i and get richer and now Boaz's masterstroke ah, he reveals his hand if you fulfill your duty to redeem the land nearer of kin then you must fulfill your duty to redeem our dear Ruth as well, you must marry her and provide for her and give her a child so that the land won't come to you but it will go to her and her child the nearer of kin is now placed in a predicament which is exactly what Boaz had intended. Here, Boaz's deep personal care for Ruth shines through. It, it, he wanted to marry her, and he's engineered a, engineered a plot to do so, mentioning the land first and Ruth second. And his masterstroke comes off. He skillfully used Old Testament law about providing for widows and honoring the dead and put the kinsmen closer to him than him in an impossible position. He now has two responsibilities, not one. Firstly, to Elimelech's property, and then secondly, to Elimelech's widow, Naomi, and uh, and, uh, the Moabitess, Ruth. You see, the unnamed guardian redeemer had calculated that if he bought the land now, he'd be financially poorer, because he wouldn't get any yield for the land, because it would all go to Ruth, Ruth's child. So if he took the land he wouldn't get any financial return on his investment. He would be weakened as he bought the land and then didn't get any return. This highlights the fact that redemption is always costly. But for Boaz, he's in love, and love counts the costs. Motivated by his own love for Ruth and his willingness to take on the financial cost, he has placed the nearer of kin in a situation in which he could do nothing but offer the right of first refusal to the next in line, which was Boaz. There's nothing illegal here, nor is there anything underhand. As Jesus would say to his disciples when he sent them out on mission, you must be as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. For that is our great man, Boaz. He shows wisdom and he's shrewd, but he's gentle and honest. So, we come to the climax of the book. The marriage? No, well, there's three climaxes. There's three crescendos this beautiful musical. If you and I were the composer of the book of Ruth, we'd end with the marriage. That's just the first crescendo. There's two greater ones. So let's read the first crescendo, which is about Ruth, but it's not the big crescendo. Verse 7, now in earlier times in Israel for redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off their sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar brought to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Using ancient law-making practice, like signing of a modern-day contract by a solicitor, Boaz marries Ruth, buys the land and honors Elimelech with a sandal, believe it or not. But that's how they did it 3,000 years ago. And the Ruth story, the Ruth story finishes with Boaz marrying her and providing her a son. But that's not the real ending and crescendo that we might think it is. We move on to the Naomi story, verse 14. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he this baby. May he become famous throughout Israel. He, this baby, will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than ten sons, look at that, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in our arms and cared for him. You see, the story started with Naomi's emptiness and it ends with her fullness. It started with the passing away of her two sons and it ends with her holding a son in her arms it started with death it ends with new life Yahweh the God of Israel has not left her without a kinsman redeemer Boaz has provided for her and filled her emptiness but and we've had two hints of that in the story he always made sure Ruth brought back food for the mother-in-law to be filled up and have plenty but it's the child that's the focus, the child in her arms. So verses 14 and 15 says, Boaz is not the kinsman or the guardian redeemer for Naomi. It's the baby in the arms who's the redeemer. Remind you of another story of another redeemer who would be a baby? And not just for for Naomi, but the redeemer. For us all, the stories come full circle. The Ruth story is complete with the marriage. The Naomi story is complete with the baby redeemer. But there's another crescendo, another horizon. The central character of the book of Ruth is not Naomi, it's not Ruth. It's not Boaz. It's what God, it's God and what he's doing in history. Just listen to the amazing crescendo that's designed to bring you to tears. Then the women the women living there said to Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Steve... How is a genealogy a crescendo to make me cry? The, the, the baby and the widow's, you know, the ancient, the old widow's arms, that makes me cry, not a, not a genealogy. Well, let me explain the significance of this. The author places Boaz and Ruth and the baby Obed in line that transcends from Perez. Perez himself transcended uh, descended Excuse me, from Abraham. And going forward, as we see, it's going to become the father of King David. So the baby's related to Abraham in past and David in future. Do you remember the time that the book of Ruth was written? The time of the judges, of lawlessness. The refrain that goes, In those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The beauty of the story of Ruth and Boaz is placed, the beauty, sorry of the story of Ruth and Boaz, is placed in the context of one of the ugliest bits of Israel's history, the time of the judges. It's a time of murder, rape, pillage, abuse of power, lies, all told graphically in an X-rated book called The Book of Judges. It's a period of civil unrest, violence, social disintegration, sexual immorality and violence against women and war. And ultimately, Israel spiralled out of control as society abandoned God. And what happened? In the midst of this chaotic society, where no one thought anything good could happen, the most beautiful ancient love story is written. Two ordinary people being faithful to God when society seems to be falling apart and becoming so at war with one another. You look out at the world today, you look at our society, you look at the global society, and you think it's all falling apart. And yet God is at work with those that are faithful and loving and courageous. And Dave and, and this couple brought that king that Israel didn't have, that would bring peace to their land, David. And just before Jesus was born, the other major Baby redeemer that this Obed points to. A man called Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, would say this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. As he holds the baby in his arms. The redeemer is a baby. And we know that it would cost this redeemer greatly to make sure that you and I are not blotted out from history. It would cost this redeemer greatly to cover us with his wings. It would cost this Redeemer greatly to fill your emptiness. He'd be stripped naked, he'd be beaten up, he'd become empty, he'd die. But each of us would be written where? In the book of life. The book of life forever. Do you see, Ruth fits into a bigger story, a story that stretches back to Abraham, goes forward to King David, and goes forward to the King of Kings, who's never going to die because he rose from the dead, King Jesus. And this story actually goes back further. In the Garden of Eden, we all lived in a place called home. We were safe and secure. We enjoyed life. There was no fear. There was nothing to hide because we lived under the wings of our caring God. But just as Naomi left Israel, so we left Eden. And we rejected God and were cast out of his presence. The world felt harsh and hostile. We became vulnerable and scared. We felt empty and homesick. Each one of us was made for a relationship with God. And when we lost that, we became like Naomi, empty, homesick, without hope, and we experienced death. But God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 that through his family and through his offspring, he'd bring healing to the whole world, and he'd bring us home, and he'd fill our emptiness. And throughout the Old Testament, we got glimpses of it with ordinary people like Rachel and Leah and Perez and Tamar. They had complex lives. Go and read about them. And Ruth and Boaz are another such couple. And it's only a glimpse, though, because the reality never came. But eventually, from Abraham's line, through Ruth and Boaz's courage, through King David's line, another baby was born to bring us back to God to bring us back under his wings. He'd defeat death, we'd have nothing to fear. Jesus would bring peace, not just to Israel, but to our hearts. And as you look back at what his theologians call salvation history, God's amazing plan of salvation that is weaved in every generation that's ever lived on earth, to find a plan that is advancing sometimes through signs and wonders and miracles and parting of red seas and resurrection of dead people. And sometimes salvation history continues In suffering and setback, and singleness and marriage, and dashed dreams and death. And God seems absent. But He's looking where are the people of courage? Where are the people of faith that I can weave my story with? A Moabite girl gleaning in a barley field many miles from home, caring for a mother in law whilst being loved by a wealthy businessman, a nighttime conversation on a threshing floor. For Christians, there is always a connection between my ordinary life and the stupendous work of God in all of history. Serving a widow, gleaning a field, falling in love, having a baby, these are connected to an eternal story for those of faith. So where does that leave us today? I have three thoughts for you. One, be fortified in your Christian life. Through all the ups and downs, through all the tragedies, through all the setbacks, through all the frustrations, through all the mundane. When you act in faith with love and courage and kindness and care, and as we're reflecting this weekend, a and safe wedding with neighbour love, just for those in need, you think... it. You think, oh, is this really, does this really make a difference? It makes a difference. Because the God of the universe sees every action. And he'll weave that into his story. It's easy to think, isn't it? We've just been through this. It's Boris Johnson, it's President Biden, it's Vladimir Putin. Those are the people's lives that dictate history. Yes and no. The Book of Ruth says you just never know how you're influenced. Influencing history with your little courageous act that no one else sees, your moment of loving kindness that you never know. Don't just think it's those big people that God uses to influence. He uses Ruth and He uses Boaz and He uses Naomi and He uses you. Keep being faithful. Keep being. The world around us is a Book of Judges. Everyone's doing what they want. No one's. You know. No. We can tell another story as a church. A beautiful story. Keep caring. Don't give in to self-pity. Keep serving. Be fortified in your Christian life through the book of Ruth. Secondly, be prepared for hardship. Find joy on the journey. And don't give up because it ends well. First point, be fortified in your Christian life. Secondly, be prepared for hardship. Find joy in the journey and don't give up because it's going to end well. If truth be told, I think we all assume or kind of hope that if we follow Jesus, it's all going to go well. If truth be told, we think, oh, if I just obey Jesus and my dreams and my desires and my ambitions, well, surely they'll kind of come true because God loves me. But we know that's not true and Jesus never promised it. So many of our plans and ambitions and dreams and hopes are dashed on the rocks of reality. And if we're not careful, we can get very bitter or we can abandon God. We can believe the lie that because our circumstances are tough, God has abandoned us. Well, let the book of Ruth speak loudly to you today be prepared for hardship but don't give up because it does all work out well in the end ruth and naomi had a tough tough time for how many years but at least 10 at least 10 remember 10 years in moab at the start it went from bad to worse and then it went worse again and wider society offered them nothing to hope in time of anarchy but they didn't give up they lamented they grieved they wrestled with god they struggled but they kept the faith. They kept being kind and courageous. They kept going. And in the end, it all worked out well. And it will for you, sometimes in this life, but in the home that we're all waiting for, the husband that's waiting to beckon us there, Jesus. It will work out well. All your dreams and desires will be satisfied. You will not be left empty. Psalm 23, your cup is going to overflow in the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. And we get glimpses of that home, even at church, or even at times of celebration and and summer, and you get glimpses of feeling at home, and then you remember you're estranged from your home. So enjoy the joy that God gives you on the journey. Be prepared for hardship. Don't give up. It will work out well in the end. So be fortified in your Christian life. Be prepared for hardship. Find joy on the journey. Don't give up because it works out well in the end. But three, my main application of the book of Ruth, never stop rejoicing in your guardian redeemer and his great love for you. If Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi, all the women, and the whole town rejoice at the birth of Obed, how much more should we always rejoice? at the birth of our Saviour, Redeemer, Jesus. He covers every bit of shame that Naomi had as a barren widow. He covered all the vulnerability that Ruth had as a Moabite. He took care of them and he'll take care of you. Marvel, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And if he is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Rejoice, never stop rejoicing in your guardian, Redeemer. Let me pray, would you stand? And we're going to rejoice in him by singing that wonderful hymn, You are my vision, heart of my own heart, whatever befalls. May he be our guardian, Redeemer. Oh, Father, we thank you for this amazing, amazing story that does just lift our hearts when we think about all the nuances of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and the time of anarchy, the civilization that they lived in, the society. And we think of our own day and our own story and our own society becoming more polarized. And and we see how your great plan of salvation is always being worked out. And you use ordinary people who respond in faith and love and kindness and courage. And so may we, your people today, be fortified in our Christian life to keep acting in love and courage and kindness even when the wider society is so polarised and seeming so nasty. We pray you'd prepare us for hardship, that we'd find joy on the journey and we wouldn't give up and knowing that in the end it'll work out well. And we pray most of all that, Jesus, you would delight our hearts as you delighted those women in Israel. With the birth of Obed, may we be delighted that you came and you lived amongst us. You experienced our vulnerability, our frailty. You tasted our death. You rose again. You are the great guardian redeemer. And we are part of your family through your blood, written into a book of life and an eternal story. May that strengthen us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.